into the neighborhood. You should say Welcome to Satanists on Cinema. We're your hosts, Satanist Cameron John and Reverend Campbell. Satanists on Cinema is a film review and commentary series that moves into your gentrified neighborhood, lays down roots, gets shot over radically or racially motivated crimes we never committed. Let's drive that home. <laughs> then came back from the dead to terrorize our killers when a few teenagers thought it would be funny to say our names five times in a mirror. Welcome to our review. Of Candyman. 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 Wait. Candyman. Stop noticing about that. Let's not test the waters just to be safe. Um, Thank you guys for joining us live. I don't want Tony Todd squatting my couch. (laughs) We can't get rid of him. (laughs) How do you get rid of Tony Todd? (laughs) That was a really good episode. That was a great episode. Was, uh, that was good times. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, we did a commentary on the original Candyman. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about this for over a year because it was delayed <laughs> like twice. Um, it finally came, and we went to the theater together to watch it. You just watched it a second time uh, yesterday, right? Hell yeah. Okay. I watched the, the first Candyman so I feel like we're all primed and ready to really dive in to this fantastic film series because this is the fourth in the series, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of we like... We just ignore the other two. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Halloween <laughs> remake, right? Like, they just sort of went right to number two spot and pushed all the <laughs> other ones out of the way. I yeah. thought that was interesting. Um, one thing I do have to say before we um, dive into the actual narrative of this story is that the development, I thought, was really interesting. Because it was yeah, after I mean, God, Freddy versus Jason that they were going to do um, a crossover with Leprechaun titled Candyman v. Leprechaun. I would have lost my shit over that. <laughs> I still, like, seeing that on the screen, it's just like, what the fuck? We could have had Warwick Davis fighting Tony Todd? God. And I thought we were screwed because we didn't get Freddy versus Jason versus Ash like we were supposed to. Right. No, I, I'm glad that didn't happen, to be honest. <laughs> the Leprechaun Candyman one. Oh, I mean, man, even Tony crazy. Todd was like, I, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tapping. <laughs> this ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, in tw- 2004, uh, Tony Todd told Fangoria that Clive Barker's involvement with the fourth one had a $25 million budget. In 2009, um, Dion Taylor was attached to direct the film and it would have been set in New England during the winter in all women's college and it would have ignored the events of Candy- Candyman Day of the Dead which is for the best I think mm-hmm. Any I feature. don't even remember it I don't either, <laughs> um, the film eventually fell apart due to disputes among the rights owner in September 2018 it was announced that Jordan Peele was interested in uh, putting this together and uh, he wanted to make it a sequel again ignoring the second and third film in November 2018, it was confirmed that Peel and Wynn Rosenfeld would produce the film, and uh, they attached Nia DaCosta as a director. And this is um, a female director of color to direct this film, which is based around the experience of black Americans. And so, you know, with so much being made in the film industry about not only individuals of color not having opportunity to to really stretch their legs and shine but specifically women in the industry not really you know we're on we're on the aftermath even though women are still dealing with it of the me too movement um where you know black women have typically not had a bold voice and to attach this black woman to this very black project and to have jordan peele sort of in the background you know, he helped write the script, but ultimately mm-hmm. he's a producer. Um, I think, and, and to have it have been as successful as it was, you know, incels online don't count to the quality of a film, you know, bitching. So as far mm-hmm. as like, you know, the, the, the amount of money it made versus what it cost, 
and we're still you know dealing with a lot of the pandemic so mm -hmm. not theaters aren't back to normal yet which i actually prefer but um yeah. it it did really fucking well and so I, I was just really really pleased that this woman got an opportunity to sort of stretch her legs use her voice and really make this film not only pay homage to the original but mm -hmm. create expand the lore even more you know without sacrificing the original film's lore too much yeah and i have to put the too much in there because i want too to much that. i i don't know i kind of disagree with that i don't think they fucked with anything okay well let's definitely get into that let, yeah. me, let me give the ratings let's, and stuff and then we'll there's the in. pin yeah <laughs> oh right, right, right. um <laughs> imdb gave it for us 4.6 out of 10 stars um, Rotten Tomatoes has it sitting at 84% certified fresh with a 73% audience score. It has a currently it's sitting with a cinema score of a B, which is really good. It means it has legs to go further um, and make more money in the theaters. Um, again, this was uh, directed by Nia DaCosta. The screenplay was written by Jordan Peele, Wynn Rosenfeld, and Nia DaCosta. And it is meant to be a direct sequel of the 1992 film that was... Um, uh, based off of the short story Clive Barker wrote called The Forbidden. And if you mm -hmm. haven't read it, I believe it's in one of the books of blood. You should definitely mm -hmm. read his work because it's amazing. Yeah. And the original, you can't... We, we got to talk a little bit about the original because it, it explains so much that's happening in this. It is so much more connected. When, when they were giving us rumors about this being in development and all the hype was starting to build about a new Candyman being produced by Jordan uh, Peele... Um, it was referred to as a spiritual sequel mm -hmm. rather than a direct sequel to the, to the first film. And so no one knew what the hell that meant, right? Yeah. I mean, even Tony Todd didn't even think he was going to have anything to do with this um, up until, you know, really when they needed it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it, there was wild speculation that this would never be, you know, live up or even be really as connected as it ended up being like this is mm -hmm. sewn straight into the back of the first Candyman film yeah which i really really appreciated do you think they went too far no okay no i like that's the thing going into it with the whole idea of a spiritual sequel mm -hmm. like it you're like okay well they're gonna take a lot of liberties with you know the the previous film maybe change some of the canon but you know, in a whole, it's going to essentially just be new Candyman. Yeah. Um, and with how much they tied in from the first, I mean, even, and I mean, this, we'll talk about this at the end, uh, but even having the mom from the first movie, like, yeah. that was, I almost shit myself the first time I saw that. I was like, they fucking did it! Those crazy <laughs> bastards, they did it! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, let, let's, um, Let's ex explain the original story of Candyman really quickly if we can, because I do think that there's different views of it. This latest rewatch of it, after having watched the this new sequel, um, you know, I watch Candyman like once a year. It's just something that mm -hmm. I just go back to because I love it so much. But the story is, you know, it goes all the way back to um, this sort of Civil War era vibe where mm -hmm. this wealthy shoemaker uh ends up making so much money that he has his son raised in polite society and he's you know goes to art school and he becomes this really renowned artist so that all these plantation owners are hiring him to do portraits of themselves and their families he ends up doing a portrait for one young woman they fall in love again this was the south that was verboten um and they ended up doing the next thing to tar and feathering him which is basically like covering him in honey and having bees attack him. They cut off mm. his hand so he couldn't paint anymore, stuck this jagged hook in it, and then they killed him. Yeah. Which was pretty fucked up. <laughs> so I mean, really the killing part, that's probably the most merciful thing they could have done after right. everything. Else. I was meaning everything <laughs> altogether. The, the, the killing yeah. was the mercy, you know? Yeah. They're like, yeah, no, they're, they're assholes, definitely assholes. <laughs> but it was, it's the... It's the connection between um, the the love connection between Helen and Candyman's character 
that's carried through to modern day where Helen is this woman who is, uh, you know, doing this dissertation on uh, modern day fables, fairy tales or folklore or something like that. Uh, urban legends, as it were. And she mm-hmm. sort of falls into the story about Candyman. She goes to Caprini Green, finds out that it's, you know, this sort of run down ghetto that has this, you know, tall tale about Candyman um, who is tied into that plantation man um, mm-hmm. who got murdered. And so the idea of Candyman is ostensibly it's um, black pain come mm-hmm. back to haunt a community. And it doesn't matter whether that community is the Caprini Green community or anyone else that just happens to hear it and then say the name. The fact is it's the injustice manifesting itself. This is from yeah. the original film, so this is nothing new. So mm-hmm. people complaining about this film, they completely misunderstood everything. <laughs> God, I know. I I had that argument so many times since it came out. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> um, but ultimately, Candyman is reconnecting with his love, reincarnated is the the way he's presenting it, and mm-hmm. he wants to bring this ch- child so he can have a family in death and finally sort of retire himself and you know mm-hmm. welcome death with his love and with this new baby that they're going to be having together. And it was Helen that rejected the premise, said, no, I'm not going to die with you, and there's no fucking way you're going to kill this baby. And so she rescues the baby, which feeds right into this new film, but then she becomes this new version of a Candyman, though they don't call her Candyman, they just say Helen, and then you know she comes after five name calls. Um, And so the idea of Candyman being um, Black Pain personified in the first film was twisted when it became this obsessive love that he had for Helen. And mm-hmm. it was so strong after death that her connection with love to her man that scorned her in life became a sort of vengeful woman's pain come mm-hmm. back. And that, that was her driving force. And so the way I always saw Candyman as a, as a creature, as a construct was almost like a grudge. They died with tragic circumstances and they just came back to wreak vengeance on anyone that happened to call them out, you know, because yeah. of that tragic end. Um, this new film, it, it does take a step further than that. It maintains that, but mm-hmm. it takes it a step further, which I, I thought was interesting. So now that we have the basic premise of the first film, do you want to walk us through sort of, you know, the main points of this new one? Yeah, so um, picks up, Yep, 30 years later, how crazy. Um, and it focuses on, and I'm going to forget their names, so let me pull this up. Okay, so it focuses on a struggling artist, Anthony McCoy, um, and his uh, girlfriend. Uh, she's also an art dealer, and you know the person that keeps getting his ass job, mm-hmm. uh, Brianna. Uh, and really just they're them trying to build a life in an area that was once the ghetto and now is and you know an artist loft essentially um so he anthony's having issues with trying to find a new muse essentially and uh he decides to start checking out um uh god i don't remember what the guy's name um anyways one of the other art dealers um you know he's talking about oh well you know my next uh, exhibition is going to be based around you know growing up on the south side because that's what his mother had told him that he grew up on the south side of chicago and the art dealer is like yeah that's pretty much overdone why not do caprini green <laughs> and he's like well i don't know shit about that all right let's fucking look around yeah and then he just so happens to have a nice fateful meet up with uh bu- 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 william burke who seems like a nice guy but he's not. Um, and he, you know, he starts to explain what it was like to grow up in the area. Um, you know, the, the constant issues with the police. Um, and then he tells them the story of the candy man, uh, which is referring to Sherman Fields, a uh, gentleman that was killed in the seventies by police after being falsely accused of killing a kid or, well, actually, I don't know. Did the little girl die? I don't remember. Well, what he saying. was blamed for it. And no, I don't even think yeah. she died. She just yeah, like, she, bit into a razor candy. Yeah, because he was a weird guy. He was a tall guy, had a hook for a hand, 
and he was always smiling, giving kids candy. Yeah, there's nothing weird about that. It, whatever. Uh, but yeah, so uh, people are assuming that it was him because, of course, you know, he's black and weird. So the police, without even doing, you know, trying to arrest him and find out what's going on, um, they beat the fuck out of him and he dies. And then, of course, a couple weeks later, it's found that another kid has a razor blade in their candy and he's you know, obviously innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really sticks with Anthony and he decides he's doing it in a full exhibit on that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it pretty much just goes downhill from there for the guy. <laughs> well, when he first starts exploring the neighborhood, the, the nearly uh, completely abandoned neighborhoods of the old Caprini mm-hmm. Green, and he runs across um, uh, William Burke, which is the the old resident, mm-hmm. isn't he the little boy that was helping Helen? Do you think? Like, I connected them as the same character. The William Burke? Yeah. No. No, no, William Burke, he was... Um, so in the end, when his, uh, you know, you see the sister die in the bathroom and stuff from Candyman, that's who that is. Um, cause at the, at the time he would have been, um, what in his twenties, uh, his, his late twenties, right. um, right. during her time. So that, yeah, he's completely yeah, separate person. That's not ever gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little thrown because, you know, it, the main character, and this is revealed throughout his um, sort of searching in, in the whole myth of, of Candyman and Caprini Green is that he was the baby that Helen rescued mm-hmm. from the fire. And so since he's a grown-ass man now, I was trying to extrapolate the man that was just older than him that was telling him about Caprini Green mm-hmm. was the younger kid that was helping Helen. I was I was trying to do the math in my head, mm-hmm. and so that I just made that assumption. But in either case, yeah, no, he. Yeah. Go ahead. Was... Oh, but yeah, he was he was the kid that uh, was the catalyst for um, uh, Sherman Fields getting murdered by the police. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah. Li- little different. So part of the narrative of of what Candyman is, they actually add in characters that are not explored in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you think, and I don't want to jump too far ahead here, but do you think they're going to have any sequels of this exploring those other characters or do you think that's kind of just lost now? I don't think they would cause it would almost be kind of like why, yeah. um, we're already at this point. Um, we know the original movie and we got a lot of the history from the original movie mm-hmm. and a bit of retelling with this movie, you know, why do anything but that like really the only uh logical i guess not even really logical but the only you know going back in time type thing would be the prequel to the original candy man right. but you know we already have that pre-story yeah. and it wouldn't be that exciting anyways so yeah. i i don't think they would okay. I, at least i hope they wouldn't i can't imagine it being too interesting yeah I just like the idea that they added to it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they they didn't leave it so it was the original Candyman and then this you know new guy that just you know got shot for the the razors and the candy that wasn't mm-hmm. even him. Yeah. Um, that that it was a tradition that that mm-hmm. this was following, and so it created not only this legend, this this sort of historical lore, but also a legacy of of pain and suffering that. Not just the residents of Caprini Green, but black Americans have had to experience going back. And just in our time with um, the Black Lives Matter movement last year and how many people were called out as victims of racial crime. I'm not making a political statement here, people, so chill out. Mm -hmm. Um, But just how many of those people you could then just fold into this. Because their mm-hmm. their memories were retained because of those movements, the communities that they were murdered in are um, even more distrustful of the system that they're being um, you know raised in. Um, mm-hmm. it, it creates so much discord and and perpetual violence that it's a believable horror trope, you know, that they're they're bringing yeah. out. 
Like, I can totally understand why a community would do this. Now, of course, at the very beginning of this, Caprini Green, they all swore at that bonfire never to mention Candy Man's name again mm -hmm. because they don't want this to continue. Yeah, because they're horrible. <laughs> but as soon as William Burke gets a hold of this young, burgeoning artist, and he's clearly interested in the story, and he starts, uh, he, like, he gets hit by, uh, stung by a bee, and it starts, like, infecting him, um, William Burke starts to lose his mind. Yeah. Like he 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 just becomes lost and he gets obsessed with this idea of changing Candyman from being um um black pain and suffering into an instrument of vengeance. And mm -hmm. so he's sort of driven to to push um Anthony McCoy into this new Candyman role as he sort mm -hmm. of spirals out. What I really loved about this is that no one wants to believe this is a real story. And it's only because of Anthony's connection with it, the fact that he's seeing the other Candyman in the mirror when he looks at himself, that he becomes obsessed just like Helen did. She was the yeah. only one that saw Candyman. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's not, it's not the romantic sexual connection of trying to connect with your, um, uh, your past love, but in this particular case, it's a cultural connection, a shared mm -hmm. experience of being a black American uh, in a really shitty area. And because you're black, you're, you're, you're um, in best cases beaten and worst cases murdered simply because of the color of your skin for um, purported crimes that you've committed. Or you just happen mm -hmm. to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, these sort of life experiences that they have to deal with. Uh, I, I thought that was an interesting dynamic that they they changed from love to shared sort of torment, mm -hmm. and it, it's driving this guy crazy. He's like starting to become afraid that Candyman is going to hurt his girlfriend or his, mm -hmm. his. Yeah, they're not married, right? Yeah, no, it's his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and then you know, his uh, girlfriend's brother and his lover add a bit of levity to the story, you yeah. know, as they're being very protective of their sister. And it all comes down to this idea that Anthony McCoy wants to be a good artist, but he's not. The art world yeah. does not recognize him. The only reason why he's getting any of these gallery shows is because his wife works at the damn gallery. And then mm -hmm. as soon as these murders start happening, his work starts getting more popular and he you know becomes more in demand as an artist and people want to start pushing him up and and using him um to sort of ride that hype train also feeding into this idea that you know is similar to black artists um forever <laughs> being abused uh through their music their 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 the proceeds of their music being stolen by the record companies or mm -hmm. you know only giving a small pittance compared to the royalties that these other people who produced the album or signed the deal to them you know they took advantage of um it's just this it's it's reality being reflected in our face through art through an artist and i just mm -hmm. it's so on the nose that i think that's what turns so many people off who ended up disliking it, but I think that's part of the strength of it, the honesty of it. I think that's what makes really yeah. good horror is believability of pain and suffering or sexuality yeah. or hunger or whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah, M making it real makes such a difference. Like, either you have to be real or you have to be so over-the-top bonkers, like yeah. Psycho Gorman, like... <laughs> That's there, you can't do like right in the middle ground because then it's just sort of meh. Yeah. Like you need to be able to connect with the characters. Yeah. So I remember stepping out of the theater with you and we were talking about how I couldn't wrap my head around some of the rules or the lack of rules that were going on with Candyman. Mm -hmm. And in reflection, at the very beginning of this film, when Candyman is first invoked, it's for the first time in 30 years. No one has talked about mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And so he has no power yet. And so the only way you actually see him is in the reflection that you called his name in. The real world, he's mm -hmm. not manifested in fully yet. Yeah. And Which as the film progresses, <laughs> he gets more power and he begins to mm -hmm. be able to manifest himself in a physical form where you can see him outside of the mirror. I never made that connection mm -hmm. when I was watching it the first time. And it was only on reflection that that started to make sense to me. And now I think it's a brilliant way of doing it. Like, yep, I I just.
barely realized that. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched it a second time yesterday. Yeah. But yeah, no, that makes sense. Because, I, I mean, yeah, like that was the whole uh, point of William Burke was, uh, right? That was, yeah, William Burke uh, was to bring that back around to yep. essentially build up Candyman. Like his whole, um, you know, evil guy monologue at the end of the movie before he gets killed. It essentially was that we need to make him again. We need to make him strong. We need to make him a weapon for vengeance. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he just goes crazy with it too. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, the kills can be kind of comedic, like the art critic in her apartment mm -hmm. where it pulls way far back and we don't see Candyman, but we see her reacting to him murdering her. Mm -hmm. yeah, it got to be a little bit silly in some of those parts pretty silly in some of those parts I, I thought the i thought the music was good but i don't really remember anything standing out like i do when i think of the first Candyman. Mm -hmm. and so it definitely did not take the role or have the impact that the the first score did yeah i mean it was just the the, the music the sexuality and the connection between helen and Candyman was what made the first film really intense and powerful and good this mm -hmm. one i'm trying to i'm trying to nail down what it is about this film that made me enjoy it and made it of value is it is it the progression of the legacy of candyman is it the the pain and torture that we're experiencing with anthony mccoy the sort of the madness that he's he's spiraling down into mm -hmm. like what is it that connected you to this story like for me, it was um, one they stayed true to the original film, um, like just completely disregarded "Farewell to the Flesh" and whatever the fuck the third one was. Yeah. Um, and it just it, it felt like a proper sequel. I mean, it definitely they were two completely different films. Uh, the first one is very focused on the dynamic between Helen and Candyman, um, and it's essentially her descent into madness and acceptance of, you know the the myth and then finally the acceptance that you know she can change things for everybody um you know with saving the kid whereas with this it's i mean we definitely get the dive into madness with um anthony mm -hmm. but it's an ensemble piece um i mean of course there were a lot of great characters in the first one but it was really focused on helen and her experience yeah. whereas with this we're getting you know, the, the girlfriend we're getting, the brother and his boyfriend. Um, we get a lot of the storytelling, uh, like the great storytelling from William. So it definitely, like, I I can understand why people wouldn't like it because it doesn't feel like the first one because it really doesn't. Yeah. But it feels like a, a natural progression. Like, what are you going to do with it now that's not just rehashing the first one yeah. and calling it a sequel? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought, and we have to call out the puppet, um, oh, God. puppetry animation sequence. Love that shit. So that was created by a Chicago-based puppet theater company called Manual Cinema, mm -hmm. and uh, Jordan Peele didn't want to do traditional flash flashback scenes uh, using footage from the old film. He wanted to smart. Yeah, he he really wanted to think about. Um, a, you know, a new creative way that tied into his story rather than focusing so much on the previous story because he wanted, of mm -hmm. course, it to be able to stand alone. Um, and it became the, the puppetry that they created, the animations, it became less about the flashbacks and more about depicting the legends themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's brilliant. It's paid off yeah. really, really well in the story in order to connect the mythology of the original and expand on it. Um, mm -hmm. And explain this this film as a you know this sort of continuation setup, and it's beautiful, like it, it's just a really really fantastic form of art mm -hmm. that they ended up realizing on screen. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk about because as much as the first Candyman focused on the sensuality of the horror, this I think focused on the art of the horror. You know, mm -hmm. we have this moment of. Um, uh, well, a couple sequences actually, where Anthony is like recreating drawing or paintings, stylistic paintings of the other Candyman, and yeah. they are grotesque 
and disturbing yeah. and i love every I want inch yeah <laughs> if i could have a gallery yeah. of just them lined up they're so beautiful and they're horrifying if if there's one thing that this whole film is about it's about art and mm. connecting and um, being able to allow art to make you feel something you know that at the very beginning when he was had his first art show of it just being the mirror and then you had to open up the mirror and see um visions of the first Candyman in order to feel the the legend be a part of the legend um it was a little bit hollow but the deeper he went in creating these uh you know artistic canvases and the deeper he fell into madness in in trying to realize these stories and find something of substance to say about what was happening um, he literally became the art mm -hmm. by William Burke's hand, you know, I mean, by losing his hand. Um, yeah. he, he became the personification of Candyman before he ever became Candyman. And it was just this insane artistic journey from trying to mimic emotion to personifying that very emotion. Yeah. And it's this brilliant trajectory that, you know, I'm only really fully realizing now as I'm talking about it, um, and I, I complain about its lack of sensuality, but it's not a Clive Barker story. Mm -hmm. It's a Jordan Peele story. And yeah. it's going to not, it, you know, they're not going to, one, you don't want to rehash it, as we mentioned before. You want to mm -hmm. be able to have it stand on its own. Um, but the parallels through that, I think, are just as valid and beautiful. You know, I, like I genuinely mm -hmm. appreciate it now, and I can't wait to watch it again. The more right. you know, I think about it, the more I talk about it. It's a brilliant film. It is. Um, okay, so is there anything that we left out that that maybe you know doesn't mesh with people or fit in? Like at the very end, the after um, Anthony is basically transformed into Candyman, mm -hmm. uh, he's in this like fugue, like meditative, like sort of trance state. Um, <laughs> Anthony is like going after his girlfriend. And so mm -hmm. she ends up like, you know, running and turning the tables and like viciously murdering um, uh, William Burke yeah, as that, the cops. God, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, as the cops come in, um, Anthony walks in uh, on that scene and the cops immediately murder Anthony without question or well, anything. Well, actually, so he's already in there. Um, like he's going through his coming back phase yeah. and... You know, he's like basically dying in her lap. Uh, so he was no threat to the police at all. Like, that's why it made it, yeah. you know, his that was him breaking from the chrysalis was the cops murdering him because it wasn't defense. They couldn't even lie and be like, oh, yeah, no, he's coming after us. No, he was laying there in her lap, basically dead, and dude unloaded on him. And then she's detained in the back of a cop car, and the cop is trying to force a. a a testimony out of her that is clearly manufactured to save their asses, which yeah. is something that you could completely imagine having happened to someone else in some other time, if not, you know, seemingly all the time. <laughs> like right now, yeah. <laughs> like right now it's happening. Yeah. Um, and uh, she ends up, you know, saying, look, I'll say whatever you want. Just let me look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. She summons Candyman and the transformation is complete with Anthony McCoy at that point. And he goes and just eliminates every single officer. And um, she, then it disappears in an alley. She goes and follows him. And he sort of like transforms through all the various versions of Candyman. And then you see him standing there with all of them mm -hmm. sort of, you know, side by side, sort of reservoir dogs pose. Um, and he says, tell my story. You know, mm -hmm. make sure people know about this. And that's keeping the legend going um, so that we can still have this sense of, you know, as they were trying to do it, the black pain and suffering can continue to be talked about mm -hmm. rather than buried and hidden because it's uncomfortable. And as a yeah. thesis statement, I think that's brilliant. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because as individuals, we do not experience or we do not understand one category or group or culture's experience doesn't mean that that experience isn't real or doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important, not just in venues like film, but also, you know, 
novels and um, TV uh, news reports and uh, you know social media online that that people are able to share their individual experiences about the world because then their pain and suffering could be understood or at the very minimum acknowledged mm -hmm. by those who have no connection to it who may actually inadvertently be feeding into it and yeah. you wouldn't know unless you heard about it and that's why i think the dissemination of information is so brilliant and to have that as that sort of final statement of no we're not going to hide this i want you to mm -hmm. share it we need to be heard i think and I'm putting more of a point on it than the film did, but I think it's a really powerful moment. And I think it's an important no, it, point. Yeah. It's definitely in his speech like that. That's the subtext of the entire speech yeah. is, you know, hear what's going on for fuck's sake. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. What yeah, was your I favorite? Think... Oh, sorry. Oh. Um, so like going back to, you know, the, the shit that people hate, like that's, that's a funny thing. Because uh, I, I was talking about it yesterday uh, with my wife after we watched it. But, like, all this shit that I've heard people bitch about, um, you know, like, oh, it's anti-white. And it's like, no, nah, that's pretty much spot on with how it was with the first film. Like, it's explaining, you know, the, the black struggle in this specific neighborhood. But, mm -hmm. you know, the subtext of the entire struggle. Uh, like, the only thing is... You know, maybe the cops were a little heavy-handed, but it's like you could believe those cops exist. We've seen footage of yeah. cops rolling up on a ten-year-old <laughs> with a Nerf gun and gunning the kid down. Yeah, like, it's, it's not like it doesn't happen. No, and this is in recent history. Like yeah. this is shit that if you don't know about it, it's because you were blind to it. Like mm -hmm. you were actively avoiding shit like this. So, yeah, everything negative I've heard about it, it's just like, ah, oh, you're all fucking idiots, you don't remember the first movie. Yeah. Like, really, that's about <laughs> me summing up this movie. It's good, and fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have a favorite part of this film? Um, God, so that's the hard part with this movie, because, like, it's... It's not quite like Mandy, um, in the sense that, like, Mandy is... <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. Trust okay, me, trust okay. me. Um, so, uh, like with Mandy, it's more so like there is a story, but it's mostly visuals. Like mm -hmm. that's what the director is really concerned about is painting a picture for you to look at, but it has a story and it just so happens to be moving. Um, that's sort of how I saw this movie. Like it was just sort of like an art installation where you're moving from one piece to another and they all make up the same exhibit so it's like it's hard to pinpoint anything um like scene wise or anything like that uh i mean really aside from like seeing the creation of the art um you know seeing the the beautiful makeup jobs they did with this uh probably one of my favorite parts was the nightmare scene uh that the girlfriend was having i keep forgetting her damn name brianna mm -hmm. uh where she watched her father kill himself and then she wakes up from that gets killed by Candyman and then wakes up from that. Like that was, that was pretty funny. Yeah. That was interesting too, because it, it fleshed out, you know, a sort of side character who ends mm. up being, you know, she's not really a side character at all. She's like, you know, it's, it's her and Anthony going through this whole experience together, mm -hmm. you know, and then separating from each other and then coming back at the very end. Um, it's really their story in the same way that Candyman and Helen, it was their story, at, you know, in the first mm. film. Um, but again, it was like, it's like a, a, a B story to the film, you know, of mm. the A story of him turning into Candyman. So, um, I don't know where I was fucking going with that. I totally just, <laughs> I totally <laughs> lost it. Uh, yeah, I think my favorite part was, it's the art, you know, it's the shadow puppets and it's those grotesque versions of the oil paintings of the past Candyman that mm -hmm. he painted are brilliant and beautiful yeah. and so amazing. And I hope someone has prints somewhere because they would make a ton of money. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, especially if they were like the really fancy prints that actually had like the texture and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'd yeah. fucking, I'd, I'd buy oh, them oil paintings in a shit. heartbeat. I mean, you and I are both artists, you know, you're, you're, mm -hmm. um, traditional tattoo artists i'm a designer 
I connect, you, you, you tell me a story through art and I'm going to connect with it much deeper than if you just oh, yeah. tell me a story. <laughs> yeah. And there's something that you can, I don't know, it just resonates differently with me. And that's the part of this film that just sunk its closet or its hook in and it just wouldn't let me go. Like yeah. even when I was a little bit upset because I wasn't processing it yet, mm -hmm. it still had me, you know, I was upset. <laughs> that's good because then i yeah. care <laughs> yeah exactly the, the worst thing for art is indifference yeah oh i love that do you have a least favorite part not really that i can think of i mean some of the some of the effects were a little meh but like i can't really think of anything that i just straight up did not like about this movie i mean if i had to pick something it probably would be the critic's death mm -hmm. uh just because it was it was funny. Yeah. Um, it wasn't supposed to be funny, but I laughed in a non, nah, that's awesome type of way. Like it just, it, it made me actually laugh. So kind of took me out, especially because at that moment, like that's like a huge moment of brevity. Like, it, you know, he's starting to peel off his fucking skin. He's yeah. losing his shit. Um, and I mean, that's when he kind of realizes that he is the candy man. I mean, he has that whole long, moment in the mirror you know seeing sherman uh sherman fields yeah um, so to to go from that just dread and anxiety and um uh, to kill her off like that it was i mean it was funny but it shouldn't have been funny yeah it was so it was just ragdoll like mm -hmm. it didn't feel you know when you, part of what makes horror films and death scenes believable is that they're done in a believable way. The FX artists are so good that it's hard for you to tell the difference between that and what it would look like in reality if you could imagine it. Mm -hmm. This, because you didn't have the physicality of Candyman and she was just being lifted in the air and then thrown around and it was it was very sort of Looney Tunes, you know? Yeah. Like Donald or Daffy Duck slapping against the screen that you're looking at. And it's like his bill is just squished against the screen. That's kind of how I got the vibe of that scene. Mm -hmm. So that's my least, part, least, favorite, least favorite part <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, it was just a little too hokey. And I know they didn't mean it to be. And I think there are ways they could have resolved it. But for whatever reason, the choice they made, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, look at the fucking Invisible Man. <laughs> like that remake. That did. That's that how you do awesome. that. That was so good. <laughs> so damn Still waiting for that sequel. Invisible right. Woman. Um, all right. Uh, ratings. Should we do ratings? Yeah. All right, so, 3.5, and I'm kind of struggling with it because it's like I want to give it a four, but I feel like I need to see it more to really understand the whole movie. Like, it, it's mm -hmm. there's so much going on, and it doesn't feel rushed at all, but it feels like. You know, especially being a visual person, like there's so much shit in the background and so much shit going on, on the sidelines that I don't feel like I get every aspect of the movie just yet. That it's exactly right. It is like walking up to a painting in a gallery and you're just looking at the painting and you're trying to dissect the different elements, the different emotions, the different messages that that painting is telling you. It takes time. You have to process it. And this film was very much like that. The problem hmm. I had is that. I didn't go into it expecting that, and so I didn't appreciate it for that on you know that first watch through, um, and so that's where my three banana stickers comes from. It just the first watch was not what I wanted, not what I expected, even though I genuinely enjoyed it. On mm -hmm. reflection of it, I probably should have given it a three point five because after this conversation that we're having, I actually love it a lot more. <laughs> right. Um, and so it may end up over time moving up to four once I have finished processing it. But it is very much a film that you can't go into. It's a bit of a slow burn in parts. You can't just go into this film expecting, you know, a slasher flick. Mm -hmm. Because it has elements in, in some moments, but that's not what this is. Mm -hmm. This is very much telling you something and it's, it's presenting what would seem to be a familiar story in such a new way that there are underlying messages weaved into it. It's like mm -hmm. trying to decode DNA, you know, in, in, in all of us, in uh, 
all life on Earth and trying to understand what humans mean through their DNA. It's going to take a while to dig through that, and we bit. still haven't done it as a species. So that's yeah. kind of how I see this film. It's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like it's it. it's definitely a watcher. Yeah. Like, everybody needs to see it. I, I totally agree. In the same way, and I don't want to diminish either of these by comparing them together, but I do think they're important. Um, um, Donald Glover's This Is America uh, music video, I think is a must see for all human beings because again, mm-hmm. it's a piece of art that tells a narrative that is important. And mm-hmm. this, I think, tells a narrative that is entertaining and important, wrapped in this really wonderful horror wrapper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I dig that. I thought it was, yeah. a, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, okay, so do you want to get to the McKenzie's? Fuck yes, I do. <laughs> Talk about one of the greatest things that's ever happened in the history of ever. Dude, last week's episode of What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So, season three finally dropped. Hey, fucking What We Do in the Shadows. One of the greatest things that's ever happened to television. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's so good. Um, if you're not watching, get, get caught up and start season three. Like, it's, it's one of those shows that you think fuck, I really like it. Can they keep this up? And then they just exceed themselves every single goddamn time. Yeah. Uh, so fucking good so far. I'm loving this season so far. It's just so... And, it, you know, to your point, like, the first season was amazing. It made me think less of the film. Like, I loved the film, and the fact that they were making a series, I was like, there's no way it's going to live up to the film. Right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it went so far beyond... Mm-hmm. It's and you just like these are new characters and you immediately fall in love with them. They're just yeah. full of character <laughs> and they're yeah. brilliant. And then season two came and I didn't think that they could top season one. And I'm not entirely sure they did, but they definitely met the same bar oh, at least. Bullshit, they didn't. <laughs> God, just clearly... episode four alone. Oh my god, or yeah. was it five? Yeah, it was episode Hell. four. <laughs> <laughs> God, that was so good. <laughs> it's just, it's so brilliant. And then this season so far, it's it's brought in some new characters that are just fantastic. It continues to sort of unpeel the onion of the existing cast, which mm-hmm. is so great. Oh, yeah. And Guillermo's just like my hero. I love yeah, him, absolutely. <laughs> Dude's awesome. Like the reveal in the first episode where he's locked up. But yeah, it goes out, <laughs> does chores and shit every day. He's like, oh, yeah, no. I just I just let them think I'm captive. Yeah. Ugh. Like if it wasn't for me, they'd all be dead. Yep. Aaron, you have to start watching this. It's so Oh my good. god. If you <laughs> so want good. to just laugh to the point where you are sore and your face just feels like it's gonna break, yeah, watch watch that show. It's just like a moment of joy. You know? It really there's so is. many there's so many I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. There's so few moments that you just you just feel happiness in. Mm-hmm. Why every day, every Friday when I get a chance to watch this series, a new episode, it's just pure joy. I, I know mm-hmm. I'm going to be happy. I know I'm going to feel good. It's just an instant dopamine shot. It's great. Oh yeah, just even hearing the the theme, like the intro, <clears throat> it's just like yeah, this is going to be a good thirty minutes. <laughs> oh god, so good. Love it. All right, now another one that I'm really looking forward to, coming September 23rd, is the third season of Creep Show on mm-hmm. Shutter. This has always been good. Like the creep it's shows. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we were kid, like we were kids and the films came out and they were great. Oh, absolutely. And Minus so, the third one, but we don't talk about that one. It's just that, that idea of, of anthology horror by people in the industry that truly love horror. They're not doing it because they're trying to make a paycheck. This is what they live yeah. and breathe. Yeah. And it's just, it's just an, this constant homage to all the great horror over the ages in the great um, uh, uh, pulp magazine horror comics back in the day. And it's just a love letter to horror. And it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to Oh, it's season two. No, it's not season no, two. No, it's it? season three. I have a typo in here. Damn it. Yeah. Yep, it's a whole typo. <laughs> Using myself. And then one that just came onto my radar, which I was not aware of. Our favorite Mike Flanagan director... He has a new movie coming out straight to Netflix called Midnight Mass. And I have heard nothing about it, so as soon as we get off, I'm I'm looking that up. Uh, It's coming out September 29th on Netflix, so 
definitely check that out. I have never been disappointed by anything Mike Flanagan has done. Some of it's better than others. Yeah. But I've never yeah. been disappointed, you know? Yeah. Going into it, just like feeling like I wasted my time. Never happened. It's yeah. always like, oh, okay. Or, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like fucking Dr. Sleep. Jesus Christ. Yes. God <laughs> damn it. I still love that. I still want more. <laughs> I right. I still want more. Yeah. Oh, they need to keep going. Okay. Um, Aaron says she's looking forward to the new season of Dexter. Did you ever watch Dexter? Mm-hmm. Did you watch all of them? I yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't feel like it stuck <laughs> the landing very well. No, 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 no. And that's what I have to keep reminding myself. It's like this new season is supposed to basically, you know, rip the bandaid off real quick and then you know stitch it up and you know sing you to sleep um, with that fucking ending so i'm hoping it's good but man i'd i'd be lying if i said i was excited for it yeah i'm, I'm honestly not excited at all i'm gonna wait to see some reviews and read some excerpts or something before i dive into that because i did i was hooked for mm -hmm. everything until the end yeah and michael c hall is amazing like he is fantastic Absolutely. in everything he does mm -hmm. like i'm in love with him from six feet under like he was Fuck, just yeah brilliant uh, and so, yeah, this, he's just, he's always done a good job. It, it's gotta be good. It like it had, they wouldn't bring it back if it didn't have like a badass story to justify mm -hmm. it coming back. Yeah. I, I, I hope so. Convince myself. I really hope so. <laughs> it's gotta be, <laughs> damn it. Um, is there anything else that you can think of that's, uh, you know, keeping you excited? Happening no, right now? No, no, really just, uh, that was creep showing what we do in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. All right. Well, dog, uh, I hope you were able to catch this at your office. Um, sorry that you couldn't tune in live, but I do appreciate the heads up on the message beforehand. Uh, Religion Free, how you doing? Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you. Justin, what up? We appreciate you guys tuning in when you do. Um, you know, and again, this isn't for everyone. <laughs> this face, this voice is not for everyone. So those of you who can handle it, I do appreciate your time and attention. Um, if you want to uh, you know, support the show in any way, subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, check the website for past episodes because we have tons of reviews and commentaries and uh, live watches. Just tons of episodes for some really fantastic films and a couple bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple. And costumes. There's even costumes in some and of them. And costumes. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty dope. Um, yeah. Of course, you can always sign up to the email list as well if you want to get notified about what type of show I'm going to be doing next, who it's going to be with. And I really appreciate your time and attention, everyone. So thank you very much. Uh, have a fantastic week. And until next time, L. Satan. L. Satan. That was not supposed to be the outro video. <laughs> that should be it. I'll just play the movie as the outro video. Yeah, there you go. Just just the full film. Just stream it as the <laughs> yeah. outro. <laughs> it's okay. I don't I don't need to be not locked up. <laughs> exactly. Um I don't know. I don't have any contest stuff this week. Yeah, I I was trying to think of something. Yeah. Well, I, maybe I maybe next time. <laughs>